This is our last week in Faith Over Fear, just to give us a little snapshot of where we've been and how we got here. Okay, so we've been tracking through the book of Luke. We've done a lot of work in the book of Luke, going through a lot of Jesus' early ministry, and this is where he's really starting, the ministry's starting to pick up. Okay, people are showing up, they're coming to see him, they're checking him out. There's people that are just coming to hear, there's people that are coming to be healed, there's people like the Pharisees who are coming to like do kind of the measuring stick and kind of figure out, okay, is Jesus someone we should listen to, or is he someone we should not listen to? And so that brings us to chapter 5. And what we find in in chapter 5 is these different interactions where people have to come to Jesus and they have to decide how they're going to determine their relationship with Jesus. And in order to do that, they've got to overcome some fear. And so the first week we talked about the man with leprosy. And he had a very advanced case of leprosy. It was obvious to everyone that he was sick. And if you were a leper at this time, you had to yell unclean. No one wanted to come near you. No one wanted to touch you. Everyone would tell you to get out of their life, okay? And he had to walk into town amidst all of that and approach Jesus. And he just comes and says, if you will, you can heal me. And he takes all of that risk and and says, I'll walk to Jesus through the pain, through the ridicule, through all the stuff. And then Jesus does something that changed his life, which was actually reach out and touched him. First time in a long time that that man has ever felt someone touch him and just say, I love you. And Jesus heals him. Then we get to the really fun State Farm commercial where they had to lower the guy through the ceiling, right? And they're tearing the ceiling apart. And you've got the paralyzed guy dangling in front of Jesus. And we don't even really think that that guy wanted to be there because when Jesus sees him, he says, your friend's faith has made you, has, has forgiven you. Because of their faith, I forgive your sins. And so, like, he had to overcome that fear. What are people going to say? What's the homeowner going to say when we rip this roof off, right? What, what do we do when people say things about what we do? Are we going to let what people think about us change the way we follow Jesus? And then last week, we talked about Levi. And Levi had chosen a path in life. He had literally chosen to be excommunicated from the faith in order to pursue a paycheck. And yet, when Jesus walks up to his tax collecting booth, he says, yep, I'll I'll." Turn all of that over and I'll follow him in spite of the fact that he was on a track to be able to build his own personal kingdom and bank account. And then we looked at the Pharisees and said, they were fearful of the people that Jesus was going to let into heaven. Like, why is Jesus hanging out with these people and what are they doing? And so here's, here's where our premise has been, okay? This is what I think is true. Fear is the number one reason we don't take our next step in following Jesus. Like, I... We get to a point in life, like all of these people, and it's not a mistake, by the way, that Luke puts all four of these interactions like right next to each other. He's helping us understand something about following Jesus. And so we get to a moment in life or moments in life where we have to decide what we're going to do. And for most people who are followers of Jesus, at some point under the age of 18, just statistically speaking, we decided to follow Jesus if you've already decided that. And usually what that conversation means, or really the main impetus for that decision is, I know that there's a place I'm going to go if I'm separated from God that I don't want to go, and that place is called hell. Or I can go and follow God and spend eternity with him in somewhere that we would love to be, which we call heaven or paradise. So as a, as a young child, you hear that equation, and it's kind of obvious the choice that you make. But then we come, especially as we get to be an adults, And we come to moments where Jesus says, or we feel led, or the Holy Spirit moves. And he goes, this is the next step for you, and we have to decide what we're going to do. Like, are we actually going to take that step, or are we going to maybe allow fear of giving up control? Fear of what people are going to say? 
fear of what interacting with that person will mean, is it going to stop us from taking that next step and actually following Jesus in our personal walk? And so there's one more interaction that I want to talk about today. And just just a heads up, some of this is going to be a little bit more like vision casting to kind of have that conversation and think about what Jesus is saying in this moment and what that means for us as we think about our personal lives and even our lives as a church moving forward. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 5, verse 33. Like Andrew said, if you want to follow along, you can scan the QR code on the back of the Next Steps card, and that will give you all the verses, all the notes, all that fun stuff, and you can even email it to yourself if you'd like. So Luke 5, verse 33 says this. One day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Now let's just pause for a minute, okay? Here's what's happening. The fun police show up for the disciples, okay? So they, they realize, and this is an important thing, we, we talk about fasting every once in a while. We don't necessarily do it as much in our culture, or we might think about fasting a little bit differently. Like we might say, it's good for me to not have soda for a while, or it's good for me to not have, be on social media for a while, or it's good for me to not eat sugar for a while. And so we fast from different aspects. And, but there is this idea of fasting where you just don't eat for a day, or you have certain times like from sunrise to sunset where you don't eat or something like that. And so in Jewish culture, that was something that they were called to at least once a year, and then they would kind of intersperse that throughout the year as they wanted to. But it could also be kind of a sign, or or it was used as a sign of righteousness. And so when the people are watching Jesus and the disciples, they say the people we see as maybe being the most righteous or developing themselves as the most righteous kind of people, they're fasting and praying. And then as they're evaluating Jesus, they're looking at Jesus and saying, okay, this is different. The most righteous people we know, the Pharisees and their teachers and the people that are supposed to be the most righteous, they're telling us how much they're fasting. And all we're seeing from Jesus' disciples and Jesus are they're going to parties and hanging out. This doesn't compute for us. So they say, why is that happening, Jesus? Why are you always going and being at these parties? Why are the disciples in these parties? And why is that so different from what we've seen? And so he goes on in verse, verses 34 and 35. He says, Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. He says, right now, we've got work to do. we got to connect with all these people. We have to interact. And there's a celebration happening because I'm here. But one day, I'm going to die. And there will be fasting. And one day, I'm going to leave, and there will be other fasting. And, and we get what Jesus is saying here. Like If you've been in a situation where someone you love has passed away, your appetite leaves, doesn't it? Like for a while, it's just like, I, like food has no function to me. I just don't even care. Someone's going to come along and they're going to say, you need to eat. And you're going, I don't feel like it. And he said, they're going to go through this. It's just not the time right now. Going on in verse 36. It says, then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined. And the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. Verses 37, 38, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. If that's confusing to you, we're going to come back to it in a little bit. And then in verse 39, he says, 
But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. This is one of those moments where I wish I could have seen the faces in the room. Because Jesus is saying something that would even make some of us, like, clutch our pearls for a second, okay? Like, he's saying the way that you've understood this is not the way that we're going to move forward. This is one of those moments where someone in the room is probably saying, this is blasphemous, what Jesus is saying. He's claiming something that shouldn't be true. We're going to develop this a little bit. But here's, here's the fear I want to focus on for this morning. It's this. The need for something new is one of our greatest fears. Here's what I mean by that, okay? Now, you might think, off the top of our heads, I like getting new stuff. Like, they talked about going shopping, right? We're going to go buy a new shirt. I like buying new shirts, or I like going to get new stuff. Or one of my favorite things is getting new technology, okay? So even, even a couple weeks ago, I realized I've had my laptop for four years that I work on every day. And I was kind of like in the back of my head, I went, four years is a pretty good amount of time. Maybe another year or so, I can get a new laptop. Like, that was fun for me. I enjoy in, in two years when my phone, you know, like I'm done paying for my phone, and I can get another one. I enjoy that, and maybe you too. Here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want them to hand me a new iPhone and for it to look like an Android phone, okay? Because I'm used to iPhone. Now, some of you are the opposite. You're like, I want nothing to do with an iPhone. I would rather have my Android, or maybe some of you still have a flip phone. I'm not sure. So you want that thing to kind of feel familiar. And sometimes when something new comes along, or we have to do something new, or we have to fulfill something new, we don't like it. Let me give you another example. When I was in school, and, and kind of my time from high school to when I was a teacher, kind of bridged the gap between like old school grade books and everything being on a computer. And so, I don't know, some of you probably had this happen. When I needed to go check my grade to see how bad I was doing in math class in high school, here's what they had to do. They had to take out the book, and the teacher would take one piece of paper, and they would slide it on the top, and then bottom piece of paper, slide it up from the bottom, and all I could see was my line, right? Anybody else have that happen to you when you had to go check grades? Okay, so everything was in a grade book, and that's how I had to check for some of my teachers. Now, when I was teaching, all we had was computers. I've never touched a grade book that wasn't digital in my life. So I, there, there's this difference, right? Everything's online versus everything is in a grade book. And I know teachers who in that transition did not make that transition. And I, 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 don't, I feel bad for them because one of the things is they were teaching for 30, 40 years for some of them. And then we said, here's something new. You have to do away with how you learn to do this for a very, very long time. And now you have to switch over to something different. And that was difficult. Some of you have felt this at work. There's a new system you have to learn how to use. Or better yet, you have to be the one implementing while everybody else is saying, I hate this. Right? When something comes up and we go, we're going to try something new, some of us just go... I don't want what's new. I want what I know. And we get worried about that. But one of the things that's true, specifically of following Jesus, is we are made new. So we have to be ready for new sometimes. Now, that's not to say I, we don't understand or we don't get or the old doesn't have a place. But we have to be ready for what's coming. And sometimes we see what's new and we're scared of it because it's something that we don't understand or it's a place we haven't gone before or it's something that we feel we're not prepared to handle. 
And so Jesus, just, just to recap what he said, right? This is important. Jesus responded in verses 34 and 35. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus even talks about this change. He says, for the disciples right now, it's this way. Moving forward, it's going to be a little bit different. Like, change is always a part of what we understand. Then Jesus gives us this illustration. I said I would go back to it, and I'll explain it a little bit. Verses 37 and 38 says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. Okay, so here's what this means. Back then, obviously, they didn't have things like plastic and glass. I mean, they had glass, but it was very expensive, not as easy to have today. So, like, when we go buy stuff at the store, you buy tea, you buy milk, you buy whatever you're going to buy, soda. It's either plastic or glass. That's what we're going to get in. They didn't have it. And even if you go buy a bottle of wine today, it's going to be a glass bottle, likely. We did, they, that's not the way they stored it. So what they had to do as it fermented was they would get skins that were from animals, and they would make kind of this pouch thing, and they would pour the wine in, and as it ferments, it lets out air, and so it would stretch the skins. And so new wine that still needs to ferment and, get, and is going to let off the air, you put in new wine skins so that as it stretches, it can handle the stretching needed in the fermentation prog- process. But what you can't do is you can't take new wine that still needs to ferment a little bit more and is going to let off that air into wineskins that have already been stretched to their max. And so Jesus is saying, when we, if we were to do that, if you were to put the new wine in a skin that was already used, it would stretch beyond what it could handle. And the problem would be that that skin would burst. It would break because it couldn't stretch anymore. And not only do you lose the skin, but you lose the wine. It's kind of like baby out with the bathwater, okay? The whole thing, the whole system falls apart because we're doing this incorrectly. And this is, Jesus is helping them understand that the way they used to do things, the way, the process they used to interact in their relationship with God up until the point where Jesus showed up was different than how it was going to progress moving forward. Because the the conversation these people are having is, why aren't you showing us that you're righteous by our standards. Why aren't you using the law to show us how righteous you are? And Jesus says that's not the way we're going to think about this moving forward. In fact, what's going to happen moving forward is going to be very different. And there's a phrase that I, that I think is very applicable here. We see it in a lot of areas of life. But here's, here's what it is. It says, what got us here won't get us there. And so Jesus is saying, what we've had up until this point got us to this point. But in order for me, Jesus, being able to bridge that gap between you and God and close that gap and restore the relationship, in order for that to take its fullest form, we've got to do something different. And we get this in our own lives. What got us here won't get us there. So if you are happy and content with exactly where you are in life right at this moment, the where, how you got here is a culmination of all the choices you've ever made. If we would look at our lives right now personally and say, I don't want to be here in this aspect of my life, I want to get here, then we have to change things. If we continue to do the same thing all the time, then we're going to be in that same place. We're not going to change. We're not going to progress. We're going to stay in that same place because we know the results that we get when we make decisions that way. The same thing would be true if you own a business or you work in a company or even for our church. Right? Where we are as GFC is a culmination of all the choices that we've made as a church up until this moment. And so we have to think about if we're going to get to somewhere else, if we're going to develop something, if we're going to reach more people, reach different people, then we've got to do something different than we've done 
in the past. But here's the challenge. Leaving what is comfortable is scary. I'll be like really honest with you. When the pandemic came, everybody's like, yeah, pandemic blew us all up. I get it. But here's what happened, right? Church changed. And for a lot of pastors, myself, other pastors I know that are still or are not in ministry anymore, we all kind of looked at each other and went, what does this mean? And am I going to be just as good at church in 2017 or moving forward in like 2020s as I was in 2017? Like you guys try doing youth group over Zoom and then we'll talk, okay? It is not what they taught me in college. So we're sitting there trying to like have this kind of, and I'm, I'm doing a game in my basement by myself with kids on Zoom, throwing whipped cream up in the air and trying to catch it in my mouth. That was youth group for a while, okay? Because there's no one else in the room. It's a lot more fun to do that when there's more people in the room, okay? I'll just tell you that. Leaving what is comfortable is scary. And so when we see something different, we have a choice. We can look at what's going to be different, how we're going to progress, how we're going to move forward, and say, I'm going to lean into that. Or we can get really scared and say, I don't like what's uncomfortable. I've put this graphic up on the screen before. It's got three circles in it. And um, I'll just talk you through this real briefly. If you weren't here when I taught this in more depth, we can talk about it um, another time. I'd love to fill you in. But here's the basic gist of it. There's been three kind of, this is very overgeneralized, but there's kind of three ideas of culture that have been in, the, in place for a, while, for a while. The first one, we go back pre-Christian, that would be pre-Jesus, okay? So largely people were uneducated and they were polytheistic. That means they worshiped a whole bunch of different gods. And they kind of had this idea, well, you know, it wasn't so abnormal for someone to make a wooden structure or a wooden carving of something and then bow down and worship that thing. So there was, there was many gods, and, and we didn't, it was pre-Christian because we didn't know Jesus because he wasn't around yet. And then we moved into a second phase of culture, which was kind of a Christian culture. This is how our country was formed. Most people were educated. The education system came up. And mostly, for the, for the most part, monotheism was largely accepted. So even if you didn't, you weren't professing to be like a Christian or Catholic or whatever, like you, you kind of got to the point where most people believed that God existed. And we knew that just carving a piece of wood and worshiping it wasn't going to do anything. So for the most part, Christianity has existed in culture number two. Here's the challenge. We're moving into culture three. We're kind of maybe in a 2.5. And here's the thing. Very educated. The most educated we've ever been. And yet, self is the most important. And here's the challenge, okay? And this is what I talked about before. The challenge was when we were living out of culture two, and we were reaching backwards to culture one, we were reaching people, other continents, uh, people on islands that have never heard, they had an idea of God, but we had much more clarity and were much more educated and much more advanced, and so they would believe us. And no one in culture one was trying to evangelize culture two. But here's what is happening. Culture three is trying to evangelize culture two. So now we've got a cycle. Here's the challenge. We've never done this before in America. As churches, as Christians, we haven't faced this kind of thing. So the question is, what do we do? We could build a wall around culture two for a while and just say, we're just going to hide together. And kind of bubble ourselves in and say, we don't want to worry about the scary culture three. We're just going to try and stay culture two as long as we can. Or we can find a way to help culture three. But here's the challenge. Leaving what is comfortable is scary. And so when we look at what we've known and where we have to reach, it gets real scary real quick. 
You know, I said earlier, fear is the number one thing that keeps us from taking our next step and following Jesus. I, I think actually I might change that a little bit for this last conversation. Here's what I think also might be true. Comfort might be the number one thing that keeps us from taking our next step and following Jesus. Like, we don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like being uncomfortable. We like being in a space that makes sense to us. We like being in a space where, like, really simplistically, not too hot, not too cold, just perfect. Right? I like being able to stay in those areas and understand that as my reality. And so when we say we have to do something that's going to make us uncomfortable, we don't like that idea. And many times following Jesus puts us in a place that is uncomfortable. And too many times, here's what happens. We try and hold on to things that stay comfortable for us, but then they become a problem down the road. Here's what I mean by this, and I'll, I'll explain it. When we hold on to what is comfortable, we justify preference as righteousness. Okay? Now, let me give you an example of this that I think we would all be on the same page as. If you've, been in, if you've been in Christianity for long enough, you know that there are certain groups of people or certain people that will kind of just have ideas about what Christians should or should not do, and it doesn't really make a ton of sense. Okay, let me give you an example of one that I think we would all be on the same page as. But some of you may have grown up in households where this was the case, okay? So I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just saying I think we've kind of moved on from this idea. There was a time where people would look at movie theaters and say they are evil and Christians should never go to a movie. Did anyone ever grow up in a house? If you're willing to raise your hand, maybe somebody. Okay, there's a handful, right? Here's another one. Christians should never play with playing cards because they're evil too, okay? Right? We get these things. I knew kids that grew up with that. Or, or this one, these drums, man. I don't know about us. Okay, so we pick things. Here's a really funny one, okay? I saw this, and this is not an old one. This was, I don't know when it was. I saw this video. I think it was in the last 10 years, okay? Blew my mind. Guys preach. I have no idea who this person was. I've never seen them before. I've never heard about them. I don't think I ever will. He was up preaching in front of a church. He's got a suit on, clean shaven, and he's saying, beards are heathen and wrong and have no place on Christian men. And I thought, who's going to tell him? Jesus probably had a beard. (laughs) Like, I'm guessing. I don't bet money on things. I'd put a lot of money on that one, okay? We pick things sometimes, and we say, because it's what we understand. Now, maybe that guy thinks in order for him to follow Jesus the best, he has to never have a beard. More power to him, okay? But we pick things sometimes, and we say, In order for other people to be righteous, they have to follow what I think. This is what was happening when when the people come to Jesus and they say, why don't your disciples fast? Why are they going to all these parties? They're choosing something that they would do as righteousness and putting it on somebody else. And so sometimes, right, let's go back to the movie example. No one, I don't think anybody here, if I said, I'm going to take my kids to see the new Mario movie. I haven't yet, but I might, okay? I don't think anyone's going to call me into the the office and be like, Pastor Corey, you really need to think about this before it happens, right? We're all okay with that. Now, should there be discernment when I go to the movie movie theater on what I'm going to see? Sure. Like, we think about that. We process what's good and what's right and what's best for, for our relationship with Jesus. But that act in and of itself it's not a problem. Most people don't walk into this space and see a drum set and leave. We've had that happen once, but, you know, it's, it's rare. 
when we try to hold on to what is comfortable to us, we call, into, we call that righteousness, but really it's preference. And we have to be careful about taking those parameters and putting them on somebody else. And so we find ourselves in a space where we go, what's coming next might be uncomfortable. What's coming next might not be what I know or what I understand. And what am I going to do with that? And where I want to wrap up this series, I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and help us understand how we do this a little bit. Um, what does this look like when it comes to taking that next step in following Jesus? So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to start, we're just going to read verses 5 to 7. And this is, this is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. So, so Paul says, I know the faith you have, Timothy, because I know the people who taught you. This would be true of us too. Like if we know the person who was a mentor or a pastor to us or parented us, like we can look at them and say, yeah, we get like kind of faith that you should have because of the people we know we're teaching it to you. So he goes on in verses six and seven says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has given us a spirit, has not given us, sorry, a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Did you catch it? He says, I know the faith you have because I know who taught you. And I'm telling you, keep fanning that flame. Keep making that grow in your life because we're not supposed to live out of fear and timidity. To make this very clear or very basic, it just, I just said this. God calls us to act in faith and not fear. This is the whole conversation we've been having. It says you have faith because of what you've been taught. And I know the people that taught you. So fan that into flame. Do not live out of fear and timidity. And as I studied for this conversation, I watched another uh, pastor that I know. And as he talked about this, he said these two things. And I thought they rang out really clear. He said, fear freezes and timidity tiptoes. Because when we get scared of taking that next step, we're just going to freeze. We're going to stay where we are. We're going to stay where it's comfortable. And we're not going to move. Or we can be timid and we can talk ourselves into moving forward, but we're only going to do it really, really quietly. And we're going to keep our faith kind of under wraps. And we're going to make sure that we're not making too much of a fuss about our relationship with Jesus. Here's an analogy I thought of for this. I thought about actually doing this, but I thought it might be a bad idea. It's much safer to carry, or safer to carry a birthday candle than a torch. I thought about bringing a birthday candle and lighting it, and I was like, I'm going to be burning my hand on the wax the whole time, and then I'm not going to be able to preach about it. I'm not bringing a torch in. So I was like, all right, well, you guys will get it, right? You're carrying a birthday candle. What, what do you do when you carry birthday candles and you've got to take it to the person that is going to blow them out? You keep your hand in front of it, right? And you kind of protect it, and you make sure it doesn't blow out. You don't have to do that with a torch. Now, here's the challenge. Some of us hear this, and we go, I will light my torch for Jesus, and I will let other people know, right? I'm going to use that. Here's, here's what I mean. We're supposed to be salt and light. So when we find ourselves in the midst of darkness, when we find ourselves in the midst of trying to figure out what to do with culture three, we can either walk into that culture tiptoeing and holding a birthday candle like this, or we can walk in as people of light. We can say, I I understand I'm going into somewhere 
that's going to be uncomfortable for me. I understand I'm going to somewhere that doesn't want me. I understand that there's going to be people that say things about me. I understand that I'm giving up control because I'm following Jesus. I understand that this is going to be a difficult road to follow. And yet I'm going to walk into it fully showing what Jesus has done in my life. And I'm going to choose faith rather than fear. Here's one thing I want to say. If we are unwilling to fan the flames of our spiritual gifts for the sake of our own comfort, we are living in fear. And you might say, now what does that mean? Like, like Paul says that to Timothy. What does it mean to fan that into flame? Here's what I think that means, right? Let's just explain this in a very basic sense. When we decide to follow Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit, we are given spiritual gifts. There are things that you are better at than I am. And we, ha- we need each other to function together, kind of like a puzzle, so that when you're really good at a spiritual gift and I'm not, we lean on you for that. And when it's my turn, I do my thing. Because then all together, we form a really good team. But sometimes we don't want to fan into flame the thing that, we are, that drives us, that gives us passion that the Holy Spirit has done in us, because it means we have to follow that into uncomfortable places. And so instead of fanning that flame, we kind of just subdue it. And you might be saying, Pastor Corey, how do I know? We could do a spiritual gifts evaluation, but here's very basic, okay? What are the things that make you passionate about when you're following Jesus? Like some of you love, love, love hosting people at your home and telling them about Jesus or or creating that space for people to grow in Jesus's and grow in their walk with Jesus. Some of you are fantastic at welcoming them in the door. Some of you are fantastic at other things that we, we need desperately, right? One of the things that's for me is preaching and teaching. And when I get to get up here, I get excited about it. It's one of those things, and it comes out in life too. Like one of my favorite things is just coaching. I love it. Yelling at them to do better and like getting them there, right? It's so fun. And so it comes out in life too. But what are those passions, and are we fanning those things and allowing them to take us where they're supposed to take us? Are we allowing Jesus to do the work in us in order to get us there, or are we too afraid of where it's going to take us? And this next phrase is going to sound very life coachy, but I'll just show you the verse in a minute where I got, okay? I would say that we should embrace the power of possibility. And I told you guys before, like when we were talking about marks of the disciple, we talked about what it means to be a disciple, that to be an effective disciple, there's got to be a little bit of that dreamer inside of us that says, I don't know what Jesus is going to do, but I'm here for it. And I'm excited about it. And I don't know where it's going to take me. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm allowed Jesus to show up. And in Ephesians 3.20, this is what it says. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's two things about this, okay, that I don't want us to miss. It says, through his mighty power, what? At work within us. Here's what happens sometimes, I think, when we read this verse. Is we think, now all glory to God who's able to do all these mighty things. And we think that means, here you go, God, you do your thing. I'm going to stand over here and wait. And that's my role. I'm going to pray about it. I'm just going to let God do his thing, and I'm going to wait. But sometimes, right, that's not what it says. It says his mighty power within us. Well, how does that get there? We fan the flame of the gift that God has given us and expect him to show up in that. That's what that means. And so we don't just sit on the sideline, but we're actively 
working and allowing God to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. We allow him to show up. It's not our power that it happens by, but it's his. And then he says, glory to him in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations. The goal then is that all generations would know that we would allow that that flame to be fanned so that we can fulfill our purpose in Christ so that more generations would know how to do this. And that doesn't stop when we look at culture three and say, we don't know what to do with it, so we're going to hunker down. When, when Paul was inspired to write this, God knew what was coming. And it's all generations. It's through all the difficulties. It's through all the things. And this is our role. One last analogy before we get to the end of stuff here. We, you know, when, I, when we started this conversation four weeks, three weeks ago, I had us raise some hands about, like, different fears that we had. I talked about movies, and I talked about, like, thrill rides and that kind of thing. And one of the things that's kind of, like, the ultimate thing that people do to show whether they are fearless or not is skydiving. Some of you literally just audibly responded to the word skydiving. Like, you had a visceral response. Like, I, and some of us would say, I would love to do that. Some of us say, there's no way you could pay me enough money to do it. I think for me, if you showed up on the right day with a plane, I might get in it with you. But if we need to schedule it like months out, I'd probably talk myself out of it. So if you're ever going and you have an extra spot, just call me, see where I'm at that day. I might hop in with you. We'll see. But here's what happens. I've never done it, but I know when you do skydiving for the first time, they don't just hand you a chute and say, see you later. They strap you to somebody who's done it, right? And so no sane person ever has been on that plane, the door of the plane opens, and they look out at the ground. No sane person has ever not felt at least an ounce of fear in that moment. Like, it's different to say I'll jump out of a plane when your feet are on the ground. If you, imagine you were just flying somewhere, like on a flight, you're going on vacation. This is great. And all of a sudden, they say, we need you to get that parachute and jump. Things change, man, once you're actually having to do it. But when that door opens and you see the ground in front of you, or below you, I guess, the question of whether you're going to make that jump is probably not how great is my fear of what's to come, but how much do I trust the person I'm strapped to? Do I believe they've done it? Do I believe they're confident? Do I believe they know what they're doing when they put this parachute on me? Do I know that they're going to pull the right cord when we have to pull the cord? Do I, do I believe that they can do it? And here's how I would say this. When we think about our fear and, and following Jesus and what that means, believe more in the one who is holding you than the fear that's in front of you. Like when we come to these decisions in life, we know that it's scary. There's that next step we're going to have to take in following him. And the question is, am I going to be more concerned about the fear in front of me or am I going to trust more in the person that's holding me? Because if I believe more in the person that's holding me, I'm willing to do a lot more things in the face of fear than if I'm just doing it on my own. And what scripture tells us is we're not doing it on our own. He's going with us, and he's the one who's done it. He knows what it's like. He's the one who prepared us. He's the one who has us ready. I think this is true. Faith over fear means trusting what God has given you is sufficient for the work he's called you to do. Because the other thing that can happen is I'm not ready for this. Like God is asking me to do it and I don't know how to do it. I don't know the next step to take. I don't know what that means. I don't know how. I don't have a roadmap. No one's done it before me. No one's showing me how to do it. I, I don't know what to do. But what Paul says to Timothy is, 
you were given the gifts you needed when you received the Holy Spirit. And your job is to fan it into a flame. You've been given what you need to fulfill the purpose you've been called to fill. That's the reality. And so guess what? That means, GFC, we have been given the spiritual gifts we need to fulfill our purpose here. As a team, we have. So the question is, what are we going to do? And when the road ahead gets difficult or we have to go somewhere, we have to do things differently or we've never done it like this before, or what does that mean? Are we going to step into it and say, we want to reach that. So we're going to step into maybe being uncomfortable at times in order to fulfill the purpose we believe Jesus has given us. So there's three things I want us to walk away with personally. The first thing is this. Trust the parts of Scripture you're afraid to trust. Be real honest. There are those of us in this room, and I'm probably one of them, that when I look at certain Scriptures, I go, I am not comfortable with trusting that. So what is it? What are the things that show up and we go, I don't know that I really trust that or trust God when he says that? And do it. Trust him. Believe more in the person who's holding you than the fear that's in front of you. Here's the second thing. Love the people you're afraid to love. The people, remember last week we talked about this, the people you think are scum. Great word. Love them. No matter what that means. And then this is the really simple one, right? Just do what you know is right. This is the challenge. We, we know what's right a lot of the time. And yet we decide not to. And I'm saying we, I'm not saying you, I'm saying we. We know what's right. It's scary to do what's right sometimes. It's scary to go on the path Jesus has called us to. But when we believe more in the person who's holding us than the fear that's in front of us, we'll take that next step. I don't know where you're at. Like, I don't know if through this whole series you've been processing and there's been something that keeps coming up or something I keep saying or something the Spirit keeps saying to you. I don't know where you're at, but if there's something that's like, I need to take that next step and you're not doing it, jump. Jesus knows what's ahead. Jump. And if there's not a specific thing that we, you've been thinking about over the last few weeks as we've processed this, there's going to be something that comes up and you feel that nudge and you feel that movement and you feel that idea or you feel that calling or somebody asked you to or whatever. It's going to come to a moment where you go, am I going to do this or not? And really the question is, am I going to let fear of giving up control of what people will say, of not knowing how to do it, am I going to let those fears rule my decision? Or am I going to allow Jesus to move me in that direction and I'm going to fulfill that call because I trust him more than I trust my fears? hope we can get to that moment where we go we're not all going to be perfect at it but we're willing to do it we're willing to jump because we know jesus knows the way would you pray with me this morning jesus we thank you for these interactions that we've been able to study uh, over the last few weeks and kind of seeing what it means when uh, overcoming fear in order to follow you really takes root and even in some of these interactions, we can see kind of the results of, of what that means. And it, it can be a scary thing to say, I'm going to give up understanding. I'm going to give up my, comf- my being comfortable to follow you. 
I'm going to give up knowing the way or I'm going to give up understanding what's to come. And I pray that we would not be people who are just putting new wine and old wineskins, but that we would understand what it means to move forward, to be pursuing the calling you've given us, and to trust you when we don't know exactly what that looks like or it's not something we've done before. And I pray as we wrap up this series, I, like I said, I don't know if there's people that are, they've been thinking about this next step they've been needing to take for all this time and they've just been too afraid to take it. I, I just pray they would jump. That they would take that next step. And I pray for all of us that you would give us the clarity in our hearts and minds that when those moments come up and we know the next step we're supposed to take, that we would recognize if we are holding on to fear too tightly or if we're making the decision to trust you and where you're calling us to go. And I pray that that would be the reality. And even that we could call that out in each other. Say, are you, are you letting fear take over? Are you having faith? And that you would move us forward together, that we would fan those flames that you've given us and we would be able to use them together to fulfill our calling. In Jesus' name, amen.